welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Howdy, howdy. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. Welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And today is Tuesday, January 31st, the last day of January. It is 2023, and it is the feast of St. John Bosco. St. John Bosco, for those who didn't know, he was a poor farming boy, and St. John Bosco had many visions. He was born during the 19th century. When he was nine years old, he started having visions. A priest was noticed at how intelligent and how holy he was as a child, and he sponsored his education. He ended up being ordained at the age of 22 and was devoted to Our Lady Help of Christians. And when he saw the young boy homeless without family, the young boys on the streets, he knew that he was called to help them. So he began to befriend them and instruct them in the Catholic faith. And in 1846, the number of his little flock of boys had risen to 400. He went on to found the Oratory of St. Francis, otherwise known as the Salesians, where the boys learned the faith, Christian morality, academics, and a trade. And at the time of Don Bosco's death on January 31st, 1888, the Salesians had 250 houses dispersed throughout the world. St. John Bosco, pray for us. And you know, I have a friend who just started a new YouTube channel dedicated to St. John Bosco. Maybe I'll invite him on to talk about that. Uh, But before I forget, GRN is seeking a new and talented production manager. So if you think you have the chops to be on the Catholic Drive Time team, then make sure you submit your resumes to careers at grnonline.com. Check it out. And if you uh, want, you can send your resume, your cover letter, and maybe send a short video of maybe something uh, showing your ability to speak on air. I think that'd be really cool. So careers at grnonline.com. I have to say, land sickness, so real. So real. I was, I went for a jog yesterday after I got home and I went less than a mile. And all of a sudden I was like really dizzy. The floor looked like it was moving. I look up and it looked like the, the sky looked like water. And I was like, what on earth? And I had to walk back slowly to my house. And I was like, is this what it's like to just be high? Cause this was terrible. And if, let me know. Have you ever dealt with land sickness before? Do you know a cure for this? Let me know in the after show. Tune in to the after show and we can talk about that. At 15 past the hour, I want to discuss, I wanted to discuss the AI art world. Is there something sinister going on? I was talking to a friend of mine and they're bringing this up to me and I was like, eh, probably not, but it brings up some interesting points. We probably won't get to that. However, we are going to talk about the Mr. Nichols case. We, everybody is hearing about it, the uh, police brutality we heard about yesterday or, or last week, rather. The Paul Pelosi update. We have more news on that story. And the Project Veritas revelation. So we'll see how much of that we're going to be able to cover. And at 30 past the hour, we're going to have more breaking news from Rudy Carlos. And Will Witt with Prager University will be on with us to discuss Cultural appropriation. Why is it only okay when they do that to Catholics? I'm thinking Met Gala. I'm thinking Lady Gaga. I'm thinking Madonna and so on and so forth. 
And in the next hour, Rudy and I will debrief and this whole load of information uh, before we get on with the game show. But speaking of which, Rudy Carlos is joining us. Good morning to you, Rudy. Good morning. It's good to be here on the ones and twos. It's a little bit different. I, uh, I do miss my old spot over there, but I'm here in the meantime. And yeah, if you're interested in becoming a production manager, send in your resume. We would love to see it. Love to grow this team a little bit more. But in any case, yeah, there's a lot to get to today, and uh, I'm excited to get into it. There's some good news for you in the news segment uh, coming up right now, uh, so I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. Some good news? Yeah. Is that, is that allowed? It's, it's almost like, uh, you know, every 10 million news stories, uh, you get one good news story. Wow. So I'm sharing the one one. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go, guys. Uh, they a, a delightful start to your Tuesday morning with some good news with Rudy Carlos. All right. Well, let's jump into it. Let's begin with prayer. Let's uh, we're going to be offering up these prayers for your intentions. So let us know what we can pray for you for. We're praying for uh, all the people who are victims of, uh, of attacks, people suffering death in their families for opposing these souls, and for all the stories that we talk about in the news. So we're, let's offer up this memorari for all these intentions. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your breaking news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Drive Time. Today is Tuesday, January the 31st. It's the end of the month here. And I'm Rudy Carlos with your latest breaking news and stories. Here's your good news. Catholic News Agency reports. Update. Mark Houck cleared of Face Act charges in rebuke to Justice Department's aggressive prosecution. Pro-life activist Mark Houck was found not guilty yesterday on federal assault charges stemming from a shoving incident outside of a Philadelphia abortion center. They call it a clinic, but it's more of a, a center of death there. Peter Breen of the Thomas More Society says that the litigation hopes the U.S. Congress will ask Mark Houck and his family to testify to the suffering that they went through at the hands of the Justice Department. Following Breen's comment, Houck said, we'll be there. And here's your bad news. CNA also reports, German Bishop's president rebukes Pope Francis for criticism of synodal way. Bishop George Badzig Bad Zing, rather, has criticized Pope Francis and dismissed the Pope's recent words that the controversial German synod, synodal way was unhelpful, damaging, and ideologically poisoned, saying the Germans had fundamentally different views of synodality than Rome. Bad Zing, the Bishop of Limburg, noted that the German bishops had their ad limina visit with Pope Francis in November, saying, quote, Why didn't the Pope talk to us about this then when we were there with him in November? Bad Zing asked. There would have been the opportunity, but he didn't take the opportunity for discussion then, unquote. The Epic Times reports, Norway finds rare earth metals that could make Europe less dependent on China. Of the metals found on the seabed in the study area, magnesium, niobium, cobalt, and rare earth minerals were found on the European Commission's list of critical minerals. They believe this will secure their economy and secure its place as a major player in the global market for high-tech and so-called green energy. And Ground News reports President Biden is to end the COVID-19 emergencies on May 11th. 
President Joe Biden informed Congress on Monday that he will end the twin national emergencies for addressing COVID-19 on May 11th, as most of the world has returned closer to normalcy nearly three years after they were first declared. And boy, these past three years, they were a blur. Those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Wow, I didn't even realize that the lockdowns, the COVID emergencies were still going on. That's news to me. Well, that's good to know. The gospel of the day is Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. So Jesus went back by boat across the sea, and a great multitude gathered about him. And while he was still by the sea, one of the rulers of the synagogue came up, Jairus by name, and fell down at his feet when he saw him. Pleading for his aid, my daughter, he said, is at the point of death. Come and lay thy hand on her, so that she may recover and live. So he turned aside with him, and a great multitude followed him, and pressed close upon him. And now a woman who for twelve years had an issue of blood, and had undergone much from many physicians, spending all she had on them, and no better for it, but rather grown worse, came up behind Jesus in the crowd, for she had been told of him, and touched his cloak. If I can even touch his cloak, she said to herself, I shall be healed. And immediately the source of the bleeding dried up, and she felt in her body that she had been cured of her affliction. Jesus thereupon, inwardly aware of the power that had proceeded from him, turned back toward the multitude and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, Canst thou see the multitude pressing so close about thee, and ask, Who touched me? But he looked around him to catch sight of the woman who had done this. And now the woman, trembling with fear, since she recognized what had befallen her, came and fell at his feet and told him the whole truth. Whereupon Jesus said to her, My daughter, thy faith hath brought thee recovery. Go in peace and be rid of thy affliction. While he was yet speaking, messengers came from the ruler's house to say, Thy daughter is dead. Why dost thou trouble the master any longer? Jesus heard the word said and told the ruler of the synagogue, No need to fear, thou hast only to believe. And now he would not let anyone follow him except Peter and James and James's brother John. And so they came to the ruler's house, while he found a great stir and much weeping and lamentation. And he went in and said to them, What is this stir, this weeping? The child is not dead, she is asleep. They laughed aloud at him. But he sent them all out, and taking the child's father and mother and his own companions with him, went in to where the child lay. When he took hold of the child's hand and said to her, Talatakumi, which means, Maiden, I say to thee, rise up. And the girl stood up immediately and began to walk. She was twelve years old, and they were beside themselves with wonder. Then he laid a strict charge on them to let nobody hear of this and ordered that she should be given something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. The commentary from today is on with Cornelius Alapide, as usual for, for me. He says that this is the celebrated woman who, being healed by Christ of her issue of blood, erected in memory of so great a benefit that a statue to Christ in Caesarea Philippi, from whose base grew an herb which cured all diseases, Julian the Apostate threw the statue down and set up one of himself in its place. 
But this was shivering to pieces. This was shivered, shivered to pieces by lightning, as St. Jerome testifies in the tripartite history. And our innovators who cast away burn the relics of the saints, whilst they preserve and venerate the relics of their own leaders, act like Julian the Apostate. For Zwinglians, those who follow Zwingli, preserve with great devotion his heart, which was found among the ashes when he was burnt. This is an interesting note. One was, is the interesting note that at the early church, like right in the very beginning, the celebrated woman, she erected in memory a statue of Christ in Caesarea Philippi, where this happened. And that from that base, a sprout, an herb sprouted out, which cured all diseases. And Julian the Apostate destroyed it. And it kind of makes me think of Our Lady of Lourdes and these other great miracle sites that happen. And many people don't believe and many people would see it destroyed. They hate our Lord and the things that our Lord does for us. And they destroyed it. The second thing that's interesting is I didn't know this, that the people who followed Zwingli at the time of, if you know who Zwingli is, he's one of the the founders of the Protestant Revolution. And that the followers of Zwingli were had a devotion to Zwingli's heart. That's interesting because they claim to hate relics. They claim that that's wrong and bad, yet they have relics of their own saints. And we see this even in our own time. Even secular people will find it very cool and very awesome uh, to be like, oh, wow, this was a telescope that so-and-so touched. Um, they they ha- kind of have this religious attitude towards secular things. Cornelius Lapide said that this woman was actually Saint Veronica, the same who gave Christ a handkerchief to wipe the sweat when he was going to be crucified on which he left an impression of his face. I thought that was very interesting, and I, something I would never would have thought. He said, Here is an example and a proof of the efficacy of holy relics. For the hem or fringe of Christ which healed the woman who had blood. Calvin, John Calvin, another Protestant revolutionary, replies that the woman was being superstitious. But Cornelius Lapide says, No, Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and Mark refutes this by saying that the healing was not to superstition, but to her faith, and they commended her for it. In fact, the thing that they were upset about was that she fell to him in fear and trembling instead of falling to him with wonder and awe and recognizing the glory and the mercy of God. He said, therefore, she was afraid lest Christ should rebuke her or lest he should recall the benefit. Hence, it is plain that she had not perfect faith and hope in Christ, or she would not have thought that she would that she could be hid from him, nor would she have been afraid of him. Now, this is important to note that we should have trust and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ because he desires, he is a healer. And the relics of the saints, of our Lord, of the passion, these are all real and they have real effects. Let's think about that today. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time. Hey, Sita, how do you ask, do you love Catholic radio in German? Liebst du das katholische Radio? How about support it by purchasing car raffle tickets for a 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250? Unterstütze es mit dem Kauf eines Tickets, mit dem du ein 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250 gewinnen kannst. Hmm, okay. How about get yours at grnonline.com forward slash raffle? Kauf eins auf grnonline.com forward slash raffle. Thank you. I needed that for a PSA. Cool. When are you recording it? Right now. Oh, danke. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your church most likely has a praise and worship time. Would you be surprised to know that the songs you sing might have nothing to do with worship? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Praise and worship was not a term used until the mid-60s when the Jesus people music started becoming more complex and contemporary. By the late 70s, praise and worship had become an entire entity of its own. Secondly, what is worship? It's a sacrifice. It's not singing a soft, flowy song with hands raised. The New Testament writers understood that worship was a sacrifice, that it occurred on an altar, which was and is known as a place of slaughter. Thirdly, the altar is for you. Jesus, in the holy sacrifices of the Mass, invites you to participate in His timeless sacrifice of love that truly occurs on the altar. No nightclub effects, no entertainment, no pumped-up emotion. Oh, and please don't register for the next Praise and Worship Global Seminar. Why? Because you can't teach praise and it won't include worship. Yikes! And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And today, we got a lot going on. There are so many stories in the news. We're going to try to cover them all. We're probably only going to be able to touch on each of these stories just a little bit. And then maybe, depending on how the news cycle goes the next few days, if we have time, we'll circle back to some of these stories to give a further in-depth analysis of these stories. I want to start off with the story out of Project Veritas and their uh, coverage of this director of research and development from Pfizer. It's very interesting. The important thing to note about this before I jump into it is that this story is being reported by the media of saying Project Veritas claims that COVID-19 vaccines are being manufactured and that they're working on all these uh, on, de- on uh, evolving the virus. Project Veritas is not claiming that. All Project Veritas is saying is that they have recorded a Pfizer director saying that. They can't confirm whether or not Pfizer is actually doing it. All they can say is a director from Pfizer told us this. So that's what he's reporting. And so I'll go into it. The important thing is also that this is not some low-level um, employee at Pfizer. This person that they interviewed, that they talked to, they kind of undercoverly recorded, his name is Jordan Tristan Walker. He's the Pfizer Director of Research and Development and Strategic Operations, mRNA Scientific Planner. This is a very long title. They, they like their long titles, apparently. So I'm going to jump into this, and I'm going to read to you the transcript of the conversation. And the way they got this, people be like, there's no way a Pfizer director told him this. The way they got this is they had this this person, Jordan Walker, is a homosexual, and they had a person pretend to go on dates with him. So it's a man going on a date with this man, and he's uh, met with him on a on a dating app and has gone on several dates with this person and slowly gathering information, and they kind of put all the information they gathered from them into one place. So that's what this is coming from. So the quote from, from Jordan Walker, the director of Pfizer, he says, one of the things we, Pfizer, are exploring is like, why don't we just mutate COVID uh, ourselves so we could create, preemptively develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating, and there's an expletive, effing viruses, Walker said. From what I've heard is they, the Pfizer scientists, are optimizing it, COVID mutation process, but they're going slow because everyone is very cautious. Obviously, they don't want to accelerate it too much. 
I think they are also just trying to do it as an exploratory thing because you obviously don't want to advertise that you're figuring out future mutations, he said. Don't tell anyone. Promise you won't tell anyone. The way it, the experiment, would work is that we put the virus in monkeys and we successively cause them to keep infecting each other and we collect serial samples from them. You have to be very controlled to make sure that the virus, COVID, that you mutate doesn't create something that just goes everywhere, which I suspect is the way that the virus started in Wuhan. To be honest, it makes no sense that the virus popped up out of nowhere. It's expletive short and BS, he said. You're not supposed to do gain-of-function research with viruses. Regularly not. We can do these selected structure mutations to make them more potent there is research ongoing about that i don't know how it's going to work there better not be any more outbreaks because and they blasphemy jesus christ he said walker goes on uh part of what they the pfizer scientists want to do is to some extent to try to figure out you know how they are all how are all these new strains and variants that just pop up So it's like trying to catch them before they pop up and we could develop a vaccine prophylactically like for new variants. So that's what the why they like do it, do it controlled in a lab where they say this is a new epitop, I don't know, scientific words. And so if it comes out later out in the public, we already have a vaccine working. Either way, it's going to be a cash cow. COVID is going to be a cash cow for us for a while going forward. Like, obviously, Big Pharma is a revolving door for all government officials. And ended in any industry, though, so in the pharma industry. All the people who review our drugs, eventually, most of them will come work for pharma companies. And in the military, defense, government officials eventually work for defense companies afterwards. It's pretty good for the industry, to be honest. It's bad for everybody else in America because when the regulators reviewing our drugs know that once they stop regulating, they are going to work for the company. They're going to be as they're not going to be as hard toward the company that's going to give them a job. Okay, that's the that's it in its entirety. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So much to unpack. Yeah. But you know what I'm struck with is, uh, you know, he's talking about well. You know, when another another variant comes out, we're going to be all ready to go. We're we're already going to be working on the next, uh, you know, the next vaccine that's going to take care of that problem, right? And what strikes me of this conversation is when he mentions big pharma, he mentions almost as if big pharma is here to help you. Big pharma is here to to alleviate your fears of this virus. I just think of how how people reacted to this COVID. Uh, uh, so-called pandemic. And I say that myself. It, it was, I don't know, well, maybe we won't go down that rabbit hole. But look at how people reacted uh, to COVID-19. They gave away their liberty. They threw away all sense of reason. And the worst part of it, I think, is that for us who uh, have, who are God-fearing, who have an understanding of our, our place, you know, in relationship to God, we know that God created us in his image. We know that he created us with uh, almost perfectly with an immune system that that works, right? I mean, all of these things are, are beautifully and wonderfully made in our, our, our body. And so many people just immediately said, oh, I'm going to disregard that and jump to big pharma and 
and just kind of uh, accept Big Pharma as my savior. And really, what he's discussing here, this uh, this this science that uh, that they're they're working with, I believe it to be an abomination. How is it that uh, that we're we're supposed to see this as if it's something good? They're manipulating viruses, looking at it. Some will say, oh, well, they're just studying it. But what he said there, that they don't do gain-of-function research, I mean, that's a lie. I think that that's one of the biggest reasons. Well, yeah, one yeah, of the that things that's interesting is uh, that. he says you are not supposed to do gain-of-function research with viruses. Regularly not. We can do these selected structure mutations to make them more potent. So he's like, we're not doing gain-of-function research. We're doing selected structure mutations. <laughs> Which is totally not the same thing. It's a loophole. It's uh, using the same language. It's like saying, oh, we don't have doors in the office. We have portals to other rooms. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's the, just another same, the same thing with different words. And so this is, it's incredibly interesting to me, though, because immediately when he, there was, he was caught, he comes out and he's like, I, no, I'm just a liar. I'm just a liar. I was on a date and I was trying to impress him, so I made this up. And it's like, well, dude, if you're going to tell me that you're a liar, well, now why should I believe you now? Maybe you were lying now and not then because right. now we've established you're a liar. So not looking good. Uh, I mean, we can't verify that all these stories are true. All we can say is that he said this. And so that's out. We, we know that what was said. And so we report on it. So. There's a lot more that could be said here, and we could finish the segment talking about this, but I want to move on to the Paul Pelosi story, and I don't think we're going to be able to make it to the uh, Tyra uh, Nichols story, so we might come back to that maybe tomorrow. But Paul Pelosi, the New York Times, there was an update to the story, and it was very interesting to me, and I think there's a lot that could be said here, but here is the is one takeaway. I'm going to read you from the New York Times. They have put an article uh, releasing the transcript of it, and I kind of summarized it here, kind of took the, the key points. He says, they say, after being woken up by an intruder in the early hours of October 28th, Paul Pelosi placed a 911 call, the audio of which was released on Friday. In it, Mr. Pelosi's voice, in a calm and his words carefully chosen, he tries to convey the danger he is in without angering the intruder, who would go on to brutally attack him. Mr. Pelosi is heard saying there is a, quote, a gentleman here waiting for my wife, unquote, whom he identifies as Nancy Pelosi. When the dispatcher asks if he needs help, he, he initially says no, but goes on to emphasize that he does not know who the man was in his home. Uh, there's a lot more that I want to read, but we're running out of time, so I want to just uh, summarize. The interesting thing here is that there was all these conspiracy theories around the Paul Pelosi case, and I still think that some of this uh, we should be discussed further, but the most interesting thing here is the cover-up, is the lack of transparency, and it's kind of the theme of the today's uh, What's Concerning Us segment. The kind of the theme is this transparency. There would not be conspiracy theories if people were transparent about what was going on. Because once we read the transcript of the call, because remember, whenever this was reported, all they said was, oh, well, the police reported that he said he was a friend, said he knew him. But if you re listen to the transcript, because I, I listened to it earlier, and maybe I'll play it for you whenever if we have time to cover it another time. He obviously sounds like he is under duress and that he's asking them without he's trying to be coy and say, oh, yeah. There's someone in the house 
no, 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 I I don't need any help. And the call dispatcher is like, oh, okay. And he's like, so do you want me to call hang up? He's like, oh, no, no, don't hang up. But uh, no, I don't need any help. By the way, this is Nancy Pelosi's husband, and the call and the call screen. It looks so bad for the call screener, and so I think that's why they didn't release it because it makes the police department look really, really bad. Which goes into a story about Tyra Nichols, which we don't have time to get into and do justice. But just briefly, that whole story can be summarized as well as police incompetence, problems with the police that need to be corrected, and these this is true across the United States. But trying to reduce it down to just one thing, like, okay, this was a race thing, that's a problem. If we reduce it down to a conspiracy theory, that's also not good. Uh, Not to say that all conspiracies are wrong. In fact, usually conspiracies exist because we have some information, but not all the information. And sometimes we get all the information and things like Pfizer come up and it turns out there is a conspiracy. But one thing that's important to note is that during the Tyre Tyre Nichols case, which we will definitely get into in further depth tomorrow, if we have time, maybe sometime during this week, we'll definitely cover it in depth. 58% of the police force is black. The chief of the police for the, of Memphis, Tennessee is black. 64% of the population of Memphis is black. All officers involved in the case, all five of them were all black. The victim was black. And yet what do immediately do we see? From the from the media is this is racism. This is white supremacy. We cannot reduce these things down to white supremacy to anything like that. It's absurd and it's and it's false and it prevents us from getting to the root of the actual problem. And I just want to leave us with this. Of course, racism is bad. Of course, judging someone based on the color of skin is wrong. What we have to do is recognize that every person is made in the image and likeness of God. And when we recognize that every person is made in the image and likeness of God, we can give charity to those persons and realize and put our, our, our feet into their shoes and recognize this person is loved by God and I desire their salvation. So what can I do in the current situation that will facilitate that end? So let's think about that today. And when we get back, we'll win with Prairie University on cultural appropriation. Be right back. Does Jesus condemn praying the rosary in Matthew 6, 7 when he says, as the King James renders it, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do? Protestants think so. What's the Catholic response? First, Jesus is not condemning repetitious prayer per se. If he were, well then he would be condemning himself, since according to Mark 14, 39, he prayed multiple times, Father, remove this cup, not what I will, but what you will. But that's absurd. So what was Jesus condemning? He was condemning Gentile prayers, which were mindless repetitious prayers, as the Greek text suggests. The Gentiles recited prayers only to appease their gods. They were, as the RSV translates it, empty phrases, having nothing to do with expressing one's love for the gods. That's what Jesus is condemning, not the repetitious prayer of the rosary. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. I bet you're wondering to yourself, how can I win a 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250C? Easy. Just go to grnonline.com or call 888-784-3476. Only $25 a ticket or five tickets for $100. The drawing is February 24th, 2023. So, do you feel lucky? 
Well, do ya? Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And now here's a couple more headlines for you. This one's from Breitbart. Biden touts a $1.2 trillion infrastructure spending spree as he refuses debt ceiling negotiations. President Joe Biden on Monday delivered remarks in Baltimore, Maryland, where he touted a tunnel project being addressed with funds from the $1.2 trillion Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act he signed in 2021. At the same time, however, he continues to refuse spending cut negotiations with Republican lawmakers over the $31.3 trillion debt ceiling breached on January 19th, even though he has admitted Washington politicians need to rein in the national debt. And the best way to uh, to prioritize your, your spending is to maybe just stop spending. <laughs> it's easy. The Daily Wire reports Google fired exec for being for not being inclusive, rather, by favoring high performers, lawsuit alleges. In response to Alohan's request during a call for specifics as to why Google believed he was not inclusive, Google's employee investigations team explained that he had shown favoritism toward high performers, which it considered non-inclusive, and commented on employees' walking pace and hustle, which it considered ableist, the suit said. In February 2022, Adam Stewart, vice president of Google's Consumer Government and Entertainment Division, told Alohan that there were obviously too many white guys in the division. And in July, Stewart and the company's Human Resources Department encouraged Alohan to terminate the employment of a male member of his team and replace him with a female hire, the suit said. So don't work too hard today, folks. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. I always appreciate the breaking news and stories. Have I mentioned that we are actually giving away a Mercedes-Benz CLA 250? If you would like to get into the drawing to win a Mercedes-Benz CLA 250, you can uh, find information by going to grnonline.com. All proceeds go to the furthering the mission of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Uh, one ticket is for $25, five for $100. And if you really want to be a supporter of the GRN, well, you can reach out to your local GM and buy tickets directly from them and maybe pick up a few and say, hey, I'm going to help you out because I love Catholic Radio. I want to support Catholic Radio. So I am going to uh, pick up some of those and sell some for you. That would be really awesome. Uh, joining us right now is Will Witt with Prager University. Will has amassed more than 700 million online views in just a few years' time. He has become a national best-selling author, a popular international speaker, and is featured on outlets like Fox, Daily Wire, Blaze Media, and a cultural commentator. And relevant to today's discussion, he has done a man-on-the-street work on cultural appropriation and has recently appeared on the Dr. Phil show discussing this topic. Uh, good morning to you, Will. Good morning. Awesome. Praise be to God. Uh, welcome to the show. And, you know, I found it so fascinating. I was watching the, the, the Dr. Phil show, and I just thought, this is, in one sense, really hilarious. In second sense, it's kind of scary that this is being taught at our universities, I was fortunate to go to a, a good Catholic university. Not all of them are, are good. And I did not receive this. And I always am shocked to see that these things are happening. So can you let's start off with give me the lowdown. What's going on? What is cultural appropriation? Many people have not really heard it or encountered this attack saying, oh, you're culturally appropriating X, Y or Z in real life. So give, give me the laydown of what exactly is going on with this. 
Yeah, cultural appropriation is something that is taught by university professors to make them fe- themselves feel like they are doing something noble or moral, when in reality, kind of like you said, normal people or regular hardworking Americans really don't hear anything about cultural appropriation. It's essentially the fact that if I were to dress up as, let's say, you know, like I did for a video in Mexican garb, a sarapa and a sombrero and maracas, something like that for Halloween, that would be considered cultural appropriation because I am essentially, according to these far-left activists and university professors, taking another culture and using it as my own almost in a comical way to make fun of the other culture. And so what this essentially boils down to from these people is that you are not allowed to share cultures, you are not allowed to celebrate other cultures, and if you do, it is some horrible sin because you are not presenting this culture in a good light. But what they fail to miss is that so many of these times that you are doing something like this, you are actually, you are promoting this culture in a good and healthy way. That is what cultures do throughout history and civilization. Cultures will mesh and work together to create some new type of culture. But these people, these far left activists don't seem to want that very much. And they just want their one leftist dogmatic culture to be the only one to be seen. I think it was really interesting. I really enjoyed those videos. I thought they were absolutely hilarious, especially my I'm ba- my background is uh, more Mexican and my family. But we, uh, you know, it's kind of funny for for Cinco de Mayo a couple years ago. I came in to do the show and dressed in a with a poncho with a sombrero. And obviously, uh, living in the U.S., I I never wear that, and I've I've never really seen a someone who's Mexican wear that in public for uh, being serious. Most of them wear it also as a joke to make fun of ourselves. And I think that it's amusing. And I, and I don't know anyone who's Hispanic who would be offended by that personally. And maybe there are people online and people on college campuses that would, but every person I know that's Hispanic is the same way. And the same, in the same vein, my best friend growing up from, we were friends from fifth grade. I just went on a, on a deep sea fishing trip with them this last weekend. He's Vietnamese and he's uh, getting married in a couple months. And part of what he's doing is he's having all his uh, best men, his, uh, his groomsmen dress in traditional Vietnamese garb. And I'm obviously not Vietnamese. So am I going to get attacked for cultural appropriation by, by the media or is, am I immune because I'm not white? I think you might get attacked, but I think you just need to tell all these people to go kick rocks because if this is what you are supposed to do for this wedding, I mean, that's a, a wonderful thing to share in that culture. But these people on the left, I think that what, at least my theory is, is that none of these people are actually really offended by someone like you wearing that garb or me going on this campus. But because you have a lack of God in American society where the, the decline in, in traditional religious values you have people who are creating their own savior complex, their own God complex, turning themselves into the new God. And so they feel like they need to go and be the savior for these minorities to make themselves feel like their life has any sort of meaning. I mean, we are in a a crisis of meaning in America right now with young people, especially. And so these types of people find that meaning and being this, this savior for other people, but it's complete nonsense. Because you're not saving anyone, and these other cultures aren't asking you to be saved, as seen in my videos where I go and interview these people. These people don't care that I'm in Mexican garb or Chinese garb or Native American garb, any of that. They are fine with me celebrating their culture. The people who are the most offended are, of course, these young people who have to be college-educated.
Right, exactly. I always make this joke when I talk about architecture. I have a, have a friend who is a went to college and we got his degrees in in architecture. And he was doing during the during the lockdowns. He was doing a a series online about the various pieces of architecture that he thought were beautiful. And he was putting out a whole piece on why they were so beautiful. And there was this really ugly building put out there. And he was explaining why it was actually beautiful. And I was and I commented. I was like, my friend. The only person that could think this is beautiful is someone who got a college degree in, in architecture. And <laughs> I think that's a, that's the same case with, uh, with cultural appropriation. The only people that are offended are people who are, I guess, what do they call it? They call it raising awareness or something like that? Well, raising your consciousness, something like that? Yeah, I'm getting woke, you know, like uh, that type of mentality of thinking that these things are, are what you're supposed to care about. But I, I love that, that whole example about the architecture that you just said, because so many of these these conversations that happen on college campuses, this critical theory, you know, which is essentially the, the idea that everything needs to be criticized. It's very postmodern. Uh, nothing is sacred. There is no objective truth. I mean, these things really come down to intellectual masturbation from these people on these college campuses who really just want to hear themselves talk and develop something that is new and groundbreaking and is different than the norms. But, you know, these people who want to destroy Western civilization or want to uh, destroy Catholicism, you know, something that's been around for 2,000 years and has stood the, the test of time. They want to do it because they need some sort of meaning in their lives because they can't discover or create anything new because they're frankly not smart enough to do anything like that. So all they know how to do is destroy. This is all these people know how to do is destroy. And that's what cultural appropriation is and all of these other issues that it really comes down to that are frankly, destroying the West right now. Uh, one thing that I found really interesting about your, your time on the Dr. Phil show was the, the fellow who was a, a college professor talking about this, who was, he was wearing, he was black, he was wearing, he had dreads, uh, or, or as you had mentioned, a Dutch braid, and uh, was wearing a suit. And I was thinking, wait, is that the culture that you're from? Is that, that that's the, uh, the traditional outfit of your culture? Or are you appropriating white culture is that even a possibility can you appropriate what quote-unquote white culture or maybe better put western culture so it's funny they actually we i got into more of a discussion about that on the show and they ended up cutting it out um i think i maybe to the producers i might have gone a little bit too hard or overboard on it but the, these i we got into that whole discussion they said well you know white white people can't benefit or make any money off of things that were created by other minorities. This is the next conversation that we got into that was cut out. And I said, that's absolutely ridiculous. Black people and Mexican people and Asian people benefit off of things that white people created all the time. That's just how it is. Why can't white people do the same for something that a black person created? It is complete nonsense. The things that come out of these people's mouths, it's almost unbelievable. Because it seems such common sense, so simple to think. They created something. I created something. Why does it matter what race this person is who created it? Why can't we use it in a free market of ideas and, and, and materials and use it if, if it works and we want to, right? But the fact that they've turned it into something that has to be about race and then totally racist towards white people is ridiculous and ludicrous, and this is the complete deterioration of what this country was founded on. We have to uh, hold off right there. We're going to head to a break. When we come back, we I want to pick up on this conversation. We're going to talk about more of a double standard. Maybe talk a little bit about cuisine and Catholic appropriation. What about the Met Gala? More on this with uh, coming up next. Marty, the GRN is raffling off a 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250C. Whoa, Doc, that's heavy. 
What, are we going to have to, like, go back in time to get tickets? Not at all, Marty. Just call 888-784-3476 or go to grnonline.com. We better hurry, Marty. The drawing takes place February 24th, the year 2023. We really need one of those smartphones, Doc. Paragraph 2223 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church states that parents have the first responsibility for the education of their children. First and foremost, this is in regards to the education in the faith. One really fun way of doing this is to take a Catholic calendar and at the beginning of each month, choose a day to celebrate, either a saint's day or a feast day. For instance, on December 12th, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, spread a serapi across the table, have a Mexican food feast and put on the mariachi music. Place a statue or a picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe in the middle of the table. Tell the kids who she is and why you're celebrating. Do this every month with a different saint or feast day and imagine how much of the faith that you will learn together while you have fun as a Catholic family. This has been a minute for your marriage and family from the Three Hearts Institute. You can find us at threeheartsinstitute.org. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And today we're talking to Will Witt from Prager University about cultural appropriation. What is it? What's it all about? And what's wrong with it? It's so, it's hilarious to me. I was listening to the, the spot we were playing on the Guadalupe Radio Network and it talked about, uh, it kind of talked about cultural appropriation a little bit. It was saying, hey, you know, December 12th, Feast Our Lady Guadalupe. Our Lady appeared in Mexico in 1517 and she uh, converted the entirety of the Mexican people, the Aztecs there, uh, to be the, to the Catholic Church. How should we celebrate this feast day? Hey, well, maybe eat some Mexican food, set out some traditional Mexican garb and uh, celebrate that way. And I thought that was so funny. It's so apropos that that was what played talking about cultural appropriation. Uh, welcome back, Will Witt. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the thing that I found interesting as well was the topic of food. And so people want to uh, talk about the clothing and things like that, yet everyone wants to enjoy other cultures' food. And I was surprised to see these TikTok videos and other things talking about, whoa, 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 you're not allowed to make that kind of food. You are not that culture. And I was thinking, what? That is the strangest thing. I, that would not have even been on my radar of things that would have people could be upset about, about what kind of food you're eating. In fact, isn't it part of cultures like you want to invite people in? I want to give you my food. It's part of hospitality. It's very strange to me. Can you break that down for me? Yeah, well, I think you're exactly right when you say this is something that is about hospitality, you know, letting someone into your home and sharing them, sharing with them food and, and your, your household is something that for a long time, for hundreds and hundreds of years, has been seen as something that is noble and uh, something that you should cherish with these people who you let in. So the fact that people are, I mean, it's so nonsensical. I mean, just a normal person like you or me who hears something like, oh, you can't eat burritos because you're not Mexican, is the silliest thing in the world to, to actually hear. And I can't take any of these people seriously when they say something like that. All I can think is that I want to eat burritos even harder now <laughs> and eat even more burritos because <laughs> they're the ones who are getting mad at it. Because again, if you had the entire country of Mexico calling America and saying, you know, people can't eat burritos anymore, <laughs> maybe there'd be a different conversation. But the fact is, is that it's a bunch of college-educated 
millennials and, and high school students who think that they're doing something noble by telling me that I can't eat pho or, or burritos and, and think that they're doing something great. All they're doing is setting us back in time with these kinds of ideas. I want to switch topics a little bit in a second, but it just you just triggered something in my mind that I wanted to bring up. And that was the, uh, the fact that this is not only not helping minority communities and other diverse peoples. I don't know how to say these things uh, in a way that doesn't sound like I'm being PC, but the way that I'm thinking is... It actually hurts them. So if I if if people are are telling people on college campuses, hey hey hey, you're white, so you can't eat uh, burritos, you can't eat uh, Mexican food. That's only going to hurt the Mexican restaurants around the area. If you're saying, oh, Taco Tuesday is racist, you should we shouldn't have Taco Tuesday. All you're doing is you're hurting the Mexican restaurants in the area because most of those places will promote Taco Tuesday as a way to get people in the door to sell uh, more food. And in the same way. I remember the same thing was happening when the second Black Panther movie was coming out. A bunch of people came out and said, whoa, 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 white people, don't come watch Black Panther on the opening night. That night is reserved for us. Everyone else, watch it a different day. You you can be an ally by standing guard or something like that, but don't come watch it. And I was thinking, well, you know what? I'm just not going to watch the movie. I'm just not going to see it at all because I don't care that much. And uh, and that, and then the the movie direct the uh, executives were like, whoa, 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 whoa! This is not something we support because uh, yeah, they were like, we're going to lose money. Uh, so, what do you think about about that aspect of it? Well, of course you're right. You know, and it's uh, the people want to make money at the end of the day, but the activists don't really see it that way when they're not involved in the the creation of it. But it also hurts minorities in the sense that if you are telling people. Like America is a majority white country, right? It's just the truth of the matter. If you go to Europe, it's majority white. And so if you go and tell people and say, hey, you're not allowed to eat Mexican food anymore. You're not allowed to eat Vietnamese food or or uh, do traditional Native American dances or something like that. What you are doing is instead of being what they call inclusive in quotations, right? You are actually being exclusive to these people, to white people. And by doing so, it means that these minorities will no longer be taking uh, taking part in the culture that is created by white people or anything like that. And so you're actually separating people. And to me, I think it makes minorities feel really bad. It makes them feel unconfident. It's almost like, oh, I can't handle my, my own things. I can't uh, uh, handle people eating my food. And so now I have to be this victim and this person who needs someone to come save me. It's almost, it's like admonishing these people and, and really making them feel bad for, for the fact that they just were born a certain different culture. So I can't see any of this as actually good for minorities. It seems like in every single scenario, it actually hurts them. Uh, well, this is Rudy Carlos here. And, uh, you know, I have a confession to make. I, uh, I have appropriated culture before, uh, me too. It happened to be a time where I ran into you, actually. I uh, put on some cowboy boots, and I ran into you at a line dancing place back in California. But uh, that was a good time. But I'm wondering, well, you know, um, why – I'm curious as to what your take is on this, is why do we see a fracturing of these different cultures where it used to be um, – like, for example, in the 60s, it was uh, all about inclusivity, inclusivity. And now we're still seeing that, but it's almost in reverse now. We're seeing all of these different cultures wanting to kind of collapse on, on themselves and come together and, and kind of avoid having any sort of uh, intermingling from people of different cultures. W- what do you think about that? Well, it's postmodernism. And so postmodernism, as I was talking a little bit before, is the idea that 
that everything can be criticized and everything is subjective and there is no objective truth. And so what this means is that you're going to have people be divided into these different classes and groups and they're all going to be criticizing each other and saying, here's what this is and this is what this is. And it's always about, you know, the, the societal norms that are at play. So tradition, uh, beauty, uh, chivalry, uh, religious, usually old religious texts, these kind of things are all going to be criticized under the postmodern and uh, critical theory lens. And so you have people coming together to destroy instead of try and build something. When you talk about in the 60s and it was about inclusivity, uh, people were coming together out of love. They wanted to build something new. They wanted people to come together and say, we can all be a part of this. We can all be peaceful versus now with the postmodern lens, which says we are here to destroy. We are here to make sure that the things of the past no longer have any sort of relevance in our culture, in our society. And we are going to move forward with a new new future that is all about division. And once you do that, once you divide these people on lines that they can't control, then you actually have a means of controlling them, the upper echelons in our society, the elites, the bureaucrats, uh, the oligarchy that's in control of us, because then they're easy to control because they want to be a part of one of these intersectional groups. And once they feel like they've been taken out of one of these groups, then they feel ostracized from their community, ostracized from society. So it's no longer about that love. It's about control through groupthink. And I think that's really what it comes down to. Uh, I think that's amazing. And I, I want to shift slightly and talk about, uh, you mentioned postmodernism, and it just triggered in my mind, uh, Pius X in September 8, 1907, released a document called Pascendi Dominici Gregis, or On the Doctrines of the Modernist. And in it, he said, owing to the efforts of the enemy of the human race, there have been, there have never been lacking men speaking perverse things, vain talkers and seducers, erring and driving into error. Still, it must be confessed that the number of the enemies of the cross of Christ has in these last days increased exceedingly, who are striving by arts entirely new and full of subtly, subtlety to destroy the vital energy of the church, and if they can, to overthrow utterly Christ's kingdom itself. Wherefore, we may no longer be silent, lest we should seem to fail in our most sacred duty, and lest the kindness that in the hope of wiser counsels we have hitherto shown them should be attributed to a forgetfulness of our office, referring to the office of the papacy. And I recommend anybody to go and check this document out and read it in its entirety, because he's talking about exactly this situation. And it's interesting, because what they will do, they'll speak out of both sides of their mouth. They'll say... They'll try to destroy culture by saying, we, you need to keep all your culture to yourself, cultural appropriation is bad, and all the same things. Yet at the same time, we see these horrible blasphemies against the church. And I'm thinking of the Met Gala, where we had Rihanna dressed up like the Pope. We had uh, famous actresses dressed as Our Lady of Sorrows uh, at the Met Gala. But we also saw recently Madonna, who is notorious for her blasphemies against Our Lord and Our Lady, dressed as Our Lady of Sorrows, dressed as Our Lord at the Last Supper. Uh, Lady Gaga dressed as a demonic nun eating a rosary. We had Car the Kardashians having a mockery of the Catholic um, wedding ceremony. Um, we had this number and number. I could go on and on of lists of these. And so in one sense, they are totally 100% okay with blasphemy against God, yet they are 100% uh, against wearing a sombrero. Uh, reconcile this for me, Will Witt. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's, of course, because the new God is this cultural appropriation, not just cultural appropriation, but these this leftist 
subjective truth ideology. Of course, they want to destroy God. And really, this comes down to the crux of everything in politics, everything in this culture that we talk about, is that they want to destroy God. Because if you destroy God, and God is the objective truth, you can look to Scripture and say, this is objectively true, then if that is destroyed, it means that the elites and the people at the top now can control you because they can say anything that they present to you, as in lockdowns or cultural appropriation or sending $50 billion to Ukraine, whatever it is, they can say that this is the truth because there is no objective standard to go on, right? It's like the, the people in the Siberian gulags in, in communist Russia, they banned religion because they knew that if people knew the truth about God, then they couldn't be deceived by the lies anymore of their own government. And this is what it all really comes down to. And so they're fine with, with destroying Christ, destroying Catholicism, destroying uh, Protestantism, any of these kind of things within America. But when it comes to their own religion, you will see that they won't touch any of those ideals or any of those tenets, and they protect them at all costs from anything. And yeah. so I think it's incredibly important that we promote God in every way that we can and not let them pervert it in these terrible ways. And, Absolutely. I think it's very interesting. You know, it, it's, it said, I believe, I can't remember who, I think it was Cardinal Manning said, all political problems are ultimately religious problems. And I think that's true. And because when we see these, uh, these people who have turned this wokeism into their religion, it really becomes that it, it's their religion. They, they defend it, uh, with religious zeal and they hold to it as if they are uh, as if they are zealots of following some faith that has no backing and reason uh, but that's going to conclude our show with will witt uh, will where can people uh, follow you you can find me anywhere on social media at the will witt and uh, the flstandard.com awesome thank you very much will witt with prayer university make sure you check them out and go see those videos they're hilarious on the other side of the hour, the next hour, we're going to have our game show, Fear and Trembling, where you can win some prizes. And Rudy and I are going to chat a little bit. But without further ado, if you are uh, heading off, then God bless you. God love you. Have a great day. If not, we'll see you on the other side. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. We're the hosts of The Spirit World every Saturday morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us as we help answer your questions on angels, demons, and how the physical and spiritual worlds interact. That's The Spirit World from the Station of the Cross studios every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Most of us can recall a childhood memory of innocence and a peace that only comes from God. Yet with our busy schedules today, many families don't attend church weekly or spend much time teaching their children about God. So many families now are burdened by financial and family challenges, substance abuse, and other worries. But there is hope. Studies show that people who pray regularly and practice their Christian faith are less stressed, financially stable, more compassionate, optimistic, healthier, and happier. Experience a positive difference in your life and for your family by coming home to your parish. Learn more by visiting catholicscomehome.org today. Here you may find answers to your questions and discover how Jesus and the sacraments will bless your family. There's no pressure or risk. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Do it for your kids. Do it for yourself. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. 
I'm Dr. Joe Poyman with Texas Alliance for Life, inviting you to join thousands from across the state at the Texas Rally for Life on Saturday, January 28th at the Capitol in Austin. We'll celebrate the ending of the terrible Roe v. Wade decision that claimed the lives of more than 60 million unborn babies through abortion and will promote the vast resources Texas provides for moms and babies throughout our state. We'll gather at 1 p.m. in downtown Austin and march to the Capitol for the rally at 2. Get more information at TexasRallyForLife.org or call 512-477-1244. In your car, at the office, or in your home, we're always here. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Serving God's Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, this is KSHJ, 1430 AM, Houston, Texas. Your destination for Catholic Radio, on air and online at grnonline.com. 15 past the hour, we're going to play our game, Fear and Trembling, so make sure you have your phone ready. You got the number on speed dial. If you go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt, you can find the number there. You can... Hop on now if you want to wait on hold. You can be the first caller to play the game show Fear and Trembling, where you can win some prizes. So, before I forget, there's a couple of things I want to talk to talk to you about. But, you know, in a second, uh, me and Rudy are going to talk a little bit about what we uh, were discussing with Will Witt. I think it was interesting. We could bring a couple things up. But first, you know, the GRN is giving away a brand new Mercedes-Benz CLA 250, right? You know, you could win one just by buying just one ticket. One ticket is $25, and you want to increase your odds. Five tickets are $100. And if you want to be a champion for the Guadalupe Radio Network, you can actually go to your local general manager. Just go to grnonline.com and find your local market. Contact your general manager and buy a ticket directly from him. And uh, tell them Catholic Drive Time sent you. And tell them uh, that you also want to help sell tickets because you support Catholic Radio. And I'm going to be honest. These kind of raffles come around. I know my old high school, they do uh, raffles like this. And they'll call me and try to sell me some. And I'm always like, I I don't really like raffles. It's not really my thing. But, you know, I support my old high school. So I'm going to buy a few tickets just to be supportive. Even though, you know, gambling, eh, not really my thing. And maybe this is not really gambling. It's you're buying raffle tickets. But, you know, if it's not your thing, do you support Catholic Radio? This is an opportunity to support Catholic Radio. So think of it that way. Think of it as a more of a donation, if that's your thing. Uh, also, before I forget, we are hiring with the Catholic Drive Time team. So make sure you go to grnonline.com and check out our careers page. We're hiring for a producer position. You can uh, check out that information there. So if you think you would be a good fit for the Catholic Drive Time team as a sort of a co-host, producer type position, then make sure you reach out to us. Careers at grnonline.com is the email address, and you can send your resume, your cover letter, all your information, send it there. And uh, if you want, it will be uh, bonus points if you record a short video of you doing a sort of like a news read or a, a some kind of commentary on, on something that's about two to four minutes, not too long. 
Um, but I think that would be a very interesting little extra credit if you wanted to send that in. Uh, but anyway, uh, Rudy Carlos is joining us. Thank you, Rudy, for being on with us and uh, for running the the board. I know that's that's got to be a lot of fun <laughs> behind the board at the moment. But what did you think about uh, the conversation with Will Witt? Well, before I say anything, you know, being on the board, it almost feels like you could press a button by mistake and launch a nuclear bomb. Uh, just, uh, I feel like maybe I would be a good Air Force pilot or something, driving an F-16, driving, flying an F-16, uh, just after being behind all this advanced machinery here with all these buttons. But, uh, yeah, Will Witt, uh, you know, I, I'm a little disappointed he didn't get my reference. I did run into him at a line dancing place in L.A. He didn't say anything about it. But, uh, yeah, I did feel, see, it's weird. For me at that time, it felt like I was appropriating a different culture because I was going to a line dancing bar and I thought, well, I got to be a cowboy or something. And I kind of <laughs> felt like I had a little vestige of that when I was coming to Texas. I was thinking, well, I got to, I got to, you know, dress like a cowboy. And I was surprised to find out that in the cities, uh, well, cities are all the same. So. Yeah. <laughs> cities are all the same. I was disappointed also to see that there weren't any cowboys out here. So, well... Yeah, one I of the I have to go sad to like, things is lack of culture, right? Yeah, in the middle of Texas somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, go to Abilene. You'll find some people out there dressed in traditional Texas garb. <laughs> but uh, the that's the that's the thing that also kind of it's kind of sad is that the the culture and locations have kind of died out. Like mm. you used to be able to go a certain location, and you know if you had the Scottish, they'd be wearing kilts. If you were with the uh, the those uh, what are they uh, people in. Um, who used to wear like the overalls with the I'm trying to think of Swedish the Swedish oh, outfits Swedish, traditional okay. Swedish outfits the Vietnamese had the men had their tunics and the the women had their I forget how to say it. I think it's I doi or something like that I forget but it's there the traditional Vietnamese uh, uh, dresses that the women used to wear all these different cultures used to have very beautiful very um, very for the men very handsome uh, outfits that was appropriate to their culture. And I like the suit. However, that is a very uh, European, Western um, outfit. And there's nothing wrong with having a traditional outfit of your culture. And I think that would be a really great thing to start resurrecting. Yeah, I totally agree, uh, particularly with, uh, with dressing well. And, uh, you know, I've talked about this a lot before. Uh, dressing well doesn't mean that you have to go and, uh, you know, take out all of your savings or anything like that. You could dress well relatively easily these days. I mean, you can go to a thrift store and find uh, a lot of high-quality things there that, uh, you know, you don't have to pay an arm and a leg for. And what that does is it sets you apart from the rest of the culture, a culture that has become so uh, watered down and casual you're going to stand out and not in a way that uh, I'm encouraging you to be flashy or uh, to, to take a pride or vanity in, in the way that you look, but it's going to set you aside. And uh, it's an easy way for you to say, you know, I am a reflection of Christ. I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm somebody different. I'm trying to do things differently. And that's really the first step to people noticing you and Christ within you. Yeah, I, it is interesting. You know, I, I was thinking, I was talking about this the other day. I was like, what about, what about our culture? Can we bring back without it being um, antiquated, without it being medieval? Like, for instance, if you started dressing in, I don't know, in, 
if everyone started wearing tunics as if we're in the 13th century and dressing like religious brothers and uh, like I that. fully support that, by the way. <laughs> or everybody started wearing tunics like they were in uh, Greco times. Uh, like the people uh, doing Greek life put a sheet around themselves, pretend to be to live in Greek life. I don't know if yeah, people actually togas. do that. Togas, there you <laughs> go. Like that's obviously antiquated. And that's something that we shouldn't do. But at the same time, there is legitimate diversity in outfits and wear and culture and food and all these things are good it separates uh cultures it provides something that symbolizes your culture as a as an identity um and it should be shared with others i think it's something that's been been lost and it's kind of kind of sad when you think about it yeah one of the things we didn't talk about uh in relation to food and i just thought about it right now is uh i think a lot of the people who criticize um you know, for example, a particular a particular race enjoying a particular food that maybe is not part of their culture, it's a rejection of of what they believe to be colonialism. They'll say, "Well, the colonialists they came, they took everything good from my culture and they appropriated it and used it for their own or own ends." And I'm thinking here, just as an example, um, you know, the British Empire would import spices and things like that, and so they have a problem with this, but. A little bit more uh, insidious is when they start rejecting the the colonialist period of time, more specifically because they associate it with the rise of Christianity, which mm-hmm. of course was mm-hmm. uh, wholly you know uh, a Catholic endeavor, you know at least originally. No, yeah, that's a that's a great point. I think. Man, that would have been a good point to bring up. I would be curious to Will's thoughts because, you know, he had mentioned Will's Will's a Protestant and we love our Protestant brothers and sisters. But at the same time, uh, they don't they don't get the full picture because they don't understand uh, the especially in America and Europe. You should check out the interview I did with Christian Wagner on the history of of Protestantism. Um, And he talks about how the in in Europe Protestant Protestantism actually kind of does have a little bit of a culture um, because they're engraved in different countries. But in America, there really is no Protestant culture. In fact, a lot of it was Puritanism, which was kind of a destruction of culture, really. Other than you kind of have the work ethic, the Protestant work ethic, you have a garb of of particular sects of Protestantism, like the Amish and things like that, they kind of have, they have a culture. But when you think of your, your mainline Baptists, your mainline Pentecostals, your mainline these and that, there's not really a culture, uh, so to speak. And it's, it's interesting to note because the, the, the colonizers, ooh, the colonizers, um, they were Catholics and they brought their Catholic culture as along with their, their regional culture. So the Spanish brought the, the, the Spanish traditions and even among the Catholic faith, they, they you have particular devotions that are more or less uh, prevalent in your particular culture, and that, that'd have been an interesting point to to get. What do you? What does uh, Will think about the uh, the colonizers and how the fact that they were they were all Catholics pretty much except in the in the Mayflower? Yeah, you know it's funny too. Is uh, you know as you say that I uh, I envision. The, the sort of Mexico that I am familiar with, which has this, uh, this beautiful Spanish colonial architecture. I mean, that, that really is beautiful, you know, and, uh, it's a shame that people reject that. One of the really sad things, too, is you'll see, um, kind of to what Will was speaking about. Um, now there's this, uh, this progressive movement. I, I remember being in Prague 
and looking at this opera house building. And, uh, you know, in, in certain parts of Europe, too, in certain cities, you'll see, like, really historic buildings that are preserved. You know, you could see the, the, the sort of uh, the, the medieval architecture, the, the, the structure, the way they lay out the cities. It's still intact. But what they do is, and this is very unfortunate, speci specifically with this uh, opera building, is they remove the front facade of the building and they've incorporated almost like a cancerous tumor this uh, this modern edifice to sort of spice up the the structure and so there's this weird almost like um, uh, weird form that they've added to this this really classic building and it's just it's a shame because you're losing a lot of of the the history and the culture that was there before. No, that's a good point. You know, I was giving a talk on the sublime a few weeks ago, and at some point I'll post it online and I'll send it to our CDT insiders. If you're on our email list, uh, make sure to join that. Uh, go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT to join our email list. And whenever I do that, I will send out my, uh, my talk on this topic. But I was giving a talk on the sublime, and I was talking about how Professor Plinio, he was talking about the, the Chinese temples. And how these Chinese temples are are rather beautiful in their in their structure. Like you see them, they're nothing like the Western churches. Nothing like them. They're very different. And he was saying how imagine a Chinese uh, cathedral built in Chinese architectural style. Like imagine how beautiful that would be. The, the type be cool. of the type of stone they would use. They wouldn't use Western marble. They might use jade. They might use something like that. Think about the what the altar would be made out of, because they would still use precious stone, something that's permanent, something that is precious. They they would keep they would cleave to Catholic principles, but with their own materials, with their own influence. Uh, the same way you look at their temples, they have all their gods and goddesses uh, around the temple, and their lions and tigers and everything around the the temple. Imagine those uh, destroyed and replaced with the cult of the saints, uh, replaced with the Chinese martyrs, replaced with the images of Our Lady. Uh, imagine the the beauty that would be there it, and i was and that's that's so true like these cultures are beautiful and there is is a legitimate cultural appropriation that can happen a legitimate enculturation of the gospel in different locations that is legitimate that's real and we kind of have an aversion to it and rightly so because there's just been so much perversion whenever people try to do that they do it so wrongly they have uh, native americans uh, coming in mostly naked dancing into the church and that's inappropriate that's not appropriate uh but that there is a legitimate way to find what's good in these cultures and and promote the gospel right yeah definitely for sure uh, you know, it's not uh, it's not a matter of just saying, you know, well, your your culture is completely bad. There's there's obviously good things there. You know, being made in the image and likeness of God, it means that we have a sort of a, a creativity that God has placed in our hearts. And so even the pagans have certain things that are good. Uh, so we have to remember that when we're discussing this with other people, not to, to belittle them, but to bring about the good that comes from God. And speaking of the good, it would be good for you to call in to the game show, 877-757-9424. Coming up, we're going to jump into our Fear and Trembling game show. And if you want to be the contestant, call 877-757-9424. And I want you to call, not the, not the person in the car next door. I want you to call 877-757-9424. You can be the first caller. Call now, 877-757-9424. 
Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. We're the hosts of The Spirit World every Saturday morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us as we help answer your questions on angels, demons, and how the physical and spiritual worlds interact. That's The Spirit World from the Station of the Cross studios every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. What does it take to constitute an actual church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a gathering of Christians is not automatically a church. Although Matthew 18 says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst. That is not a text to be interpreted as a premise for a church. That's a requirement to legitimize an accusation. Secondly, Catholic teaching. Christ established and sustains the church as both a mystical community and a visible organization with hierarchy and jurisdiction. And thirdly, my take. Eventually, you have to decide what one item is absolutely essential for our Lord to say, that's my church. So is it a church if there's simply a common belief in the Bible? Or perhaps just a doctrinal agreement? Is it compliance to the Apostles' Creed? Could it be the stamp of approval from a denomination? Maybe an ordained pastor makes it officially a church. So, you know that place you've been attending every Sunday morning at 10 a.m.? Maybe it's not even a church. Maybe it's just a good, healthy hangout. Ooh. Holy raffle, Batman! The GRN is raffling off a Mercedes-Benz CLA 250C. If we win, that could be our new Batmobile. Great idea, Robin. Uh, how do we get tickets? Easy, Batman. Just go to grnonline.com or call 888-784-3476. Tickets are $25 for one or $100 for five. I knew you were good for something. Quick, hand me my bat phone. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Do you hear that, Rudy? Me neither. There's no ringing going on. I don't hear the phone ringing. You know what that means. That means that there is a 100% chance that if you call in right now, you're going to be the caller, 877-757-9424. It is your opportunity to be on the Fear and Trembling Game Show. You just have to call 877-757-9424, and you get a chance to win this week's prize. And if you never called in before, I invite you, be this the first time that you call in uh, just pick up your phone and dial 877-757-9424 and you can participate in today's fear and trembling i promise you today's questions well i gotta say i think it's uh, all easy question tuesday it's because this is pretty easy at least Two out of three of them are, are easy. One of these, I, I, and it could be a little difficult. It could be a little difficult. But one, two out of three, you got. It's a 100% chance you got it in the in the bag. So if you want to be a caller, make sure you call that number, uh, 877-757-9424. If you don't know how the game is played, the game is thus. Uh, we ask, not you, but I'm going to ask Rudy a question 
on Catholic Trivia, and Rudy's going to give an answer. And it's your job, so that means you get a 50-50 chance to win today's uh, each question, to get your name in the drawing, put into the coffee cup of Divine Providence. I'm going to ask Rudy the question. He's going to give an answer, and you're going to guess, is Rudy telling the truth? Is he lying? And that's going to be up to you to, to discern uh, whether or not he's a truther or he's a liar, and that'll make a 50-50 chance for you to get into today's uh, drawing for, or rather Friday's drawing of today's prize. Uh, Rudy, what can, what is the prize this week for? Or the Catholic, uh, the Fear and Trembling Game Show. Praise be to God. We have a return sponsor this week. It's Divinia Water. You may have heard of Divinia Water last time we spoke about it, but you know it's Tuesday, seven in the morning. Do you know where your water's coming from? I'm asking seriously. Do you know where your water's coming from? There are yeah, some the, serious H E B. There's some seriously contaminated things in the water now. And Divinia Water is the most distinguished bottled water on the market. It's free from microplastics, heavy metals, pharmaceuticals, which uh, there are a lot of in the water supply, and hundreds of other contaminants. Divinia is the only truly purified water brand to be bottled in glass for quality. So it's not just a, a decoration here that it's in glass. It's for a reason. It's purified. Bottled in pristine Idaho on a bottling line blessed by a Catholic priest, Divinia is also run by a Catholic family dedicated to preserving God's natural surroundings while giving you the best in clean and functional hydration. They can also ship right to your door if you're interested in trying out their water. You can go to DiviniaWater.com and uh, see their subscription offers there. And uh, this week they're giving away a 12-pack of their water to the winner on Friday. So thanks be to God. Very, very grateful to you, Divinia Water. Thank you for sponsoring our game show this week. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Davinia Water, for your sponsorship of Fear and Trembling. But joining us right now is Randall. Good morning to you, Randall. Randall, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, sir. I can hear you. Uh, where are you calling okay. from? From Frisco. Frisco, Texas. Is it uh, Frio in, the fris in Frisco today? Demasiado. Uh, <laughs> yes, very much. It is pretty cold. I, I'm wearing a sweater right now, and I'm like, uh, I'm not used to this weather. I got outside, and I was like, oh my goodness, I need to go and warm up my car. Weird, <laughs> weird situation. Uh, but uh, where are you off to today? Um, I'm returning home. I decided to not try and trek, make the trek to work because the roads are too bad. That you know what they say in Houston: turn around, don't drown. But I, I guess in that case, it's probably not turn around, don't drown. It's turn around, don't frost. Uh, yeah, don't frost. Don't don't slide on the ice. Uh, avoid the black ice. Uh, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> they got to someone need to come up with a catchy way of saying that. Uh, but uh, thank you for joining us. Um, do you know the rules to today's game show, Randall? Yeah, I I heard say he's telling the truth or if he's saying a lie yes sir that's very straightforward i'm going to ask rudy three questions and he's going to give you an answer and you're going to guess is he right is he wrong is he lying to you he's telling the truth uh, that'll be up to you so uh let's join in uh, are you ready randall i'm ready awesome rudy are you ready i am ready awesome well, let's jump into it rudy what virtues does the lily symbolize the lily. Ah, you're talking about religious symbology and flowers. So I'm going to say that's chastity and purity. Hmm. Chastity and purity. Is that just because the lily sprouted from St. Joseph's rod? Yeah, exactly. Is that that's, just because exactly the right. saints are depicted holding lilies 
that have something to I've do with I've seen that on statues before. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. interesting theory. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I trust him. Uh, Randall, the question was, what virtues does the lily symbolize? Rudy says that it symbolizes chastity and purity. I don't know if you can trust him or not, but it seems interesting, seems credible. Randall, uh, what say you? Is he a liar? Is he a truther? Is Rudy's answer correct or is he wrong? What say you, Randall? Yeah, I don't know. Is that, is that my expert in symbolism? I'm going to say true. True. Hmm. Are you sure? Uh, no, not now. <laughs> You're correct. It is sir. correct. You are correct. You are correct. Okay. Don't let Rudy fool you. He's trying <laughs> to deceive you. You are correct. It does symbolize, it literally symbolizes chastity and purity, which is why we saw it bloom from the staff of St. Joseph. It's why the virgins are all depicted uh, in, the, in religious artwork with holding lilies. Many miraculous situations with lilies. Uh, but way to go, uh, Randall. I told you the questions, uh, two easy ones, one hard one. But speaking of which, the next question, I'm not going to lie, it's pretty difficult. It's going to be hard. But don't worry, you have a 50-50 chance of getting it right. Even if you just guess, there's a 50-50 chance of you getting it right. So let's jump into the next question. Uh, Rudy. Yeah. Who let's do this. was the oldest man mentioned in the Bible who was 969 years old? The oldest man mentioned in the Bible. Who was he? He was 969 years old when he died. Are we talking about dog years? No, we're talking about human years. Human so, years. Yeah, in the okay. early, early days, right. people lived a very long time. Right. The earth was spinning closer or faster <laughs> or something like that. I don't know how you explain that. But I'm going to guess it's Abraham. Abraham. Yeah. Okay. That is a good guess. That is a good guess. Abraham. Um, did Abraham live to be 969 years old? How well do you know your Bible, Randall? Because I don't know, man. I, if, I, if someone asked me this question, I probably would have guessed something like that. Maybe I would have said Noah, something like that. But I, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. I'm not going to lie. So, Randall, what say you? The question was, who was the oldest man mentioned in the Bible who was 969 years old? Rudy says it was Abraham. Is he telling you the truth? Is he lying to you? What say you, Randall? Is he is it wrong or is he right? Let me know. He's wrong. He's wrong. He's wrong. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. My goodness. My man. Where, where to go? How did you know? Tell who do, me. Who do you, you think you, it is? You googling it? How did you know? No, no, I didn't Google. Um, the oldest guy was, I always forget the name, but I, I remember it when I hear it. Methuselah. That's it. Nailed it. That's awesome. Wow. I can't believe you knew that. I, I I, would have been, if I was asked that question, there's zero possibility I would get that one right. You wouldn't have gotten it right in 969 years. Yeah, it's true. If you gave me that many times, well, hopefully I would have read the Bible a few times in 969 <laughs> years. I would uh, know it, uh, hopefully by then. But way to go. You have your name two times in the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Uh, are you ready for question number three? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Let's see if we can get to a three for three. And this question, we're going back to a, uh, some might say an easy question. Some might say a hard question, but we'll go to Rudy. Rudy, could priests wear beards in the Western Rite of the church? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I know a couple of priests who have beards. Hmm. What a strange question. What a strange question. Hmm. Could priests wear beards in the Western Rite of the Church is the question, Randall. What say you, Randall? Is he telling the truth? Is he lying to you? It's a yes or no question. It's a 50-50 chance. Randall, what say you? Can Western Rite priests 
of the church wear beards? Yes. Yes. He says yes. Mm, yeah. No. Uh, Believe it or not, no, they can't. Yeah. It's, uh, why it's, is that? It's interesting. We kind of relax laws nowadays. It's not really enforced. So you will see priests in the Western Rite, which is the Roman Rite, wearing beards. But traditionally, you could only wear beards if you were a missionary. Uh, and it was kind of a element of like having a keeping up the the image of the priesthood. You would wear their cassock, the clean shaven, and it was only missionary priest. And the missionaries often would shave because, or they would not shave because of diseases. Whenever they don't want to nick their face and things like that, but also to protect their water. face mm -hmm. from uh, the the elements. But a very good Randall. And you know, to be honest, it didn't say. In the past, could they wear priest? Because technically speaking, nowadays, all Western Rite priests, cause you're, so you're not entirely wrong. It's kind of a trick question. Uh, but you got your name in the drawing two out of three times. And now you have a little fun fact to carry with you the rest of the day. Uh, Randall, uh, what are your plans for the rest of the day, considering that you, you're going to be heading home? Uh, Netflix and chill. Nice. <laughs> uh, hopefully there are some uh, good shows being uh, on Netflix right now. I don't know anything going on. I tried to watch a show um, recently, and immediately it got bad so fast. I was like, i got to turn this thing off. Uh, so very unfortunate. But thank you very much, Randall. Let me put you on hold, and Rudy is going to get your, your name, your contact information. So that way if you win on Friday, we can have that prize shipped out to you. Uh, but thank you very much, Randall, for joining us. All righty. God bless you. And we are done with today's episode. So, but if you're thinking, no, we need more Catholic drive time. Well, don't worry. We're going to stay on for 30 minutes on our social media feed. So be sure to hop on. You can find them at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Head there and you can find all of our social media feeds and join us for the after show where we talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about. So be sure to comment down below and let us know what you're interested in. If not, we'll see you right here tomorrow morning at 6, 8 central, 7 to 9 eastern across the Guadalupe radio network. God love you, God bless you, and we'll see you tomorrow, bright and early. God love you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Home of the Salt Community. This morning we celebrate the memorial of St. John Ma Bosco. This morning's Mass is being offered for all of our online viewers and those joining us through Guadalupe Radio Media. God, Father, praise and glory, thy children bring to thee. 
Thy grace and peace to mankind shall now forever be. O most holy Trinity, undivided unity, holy God, mighty God, God immortal be adored. And thee, Lord co-eternal, God's sole begotten Son, O Jesus, King anointed, who hast redemption won. O most holy Trinity, undivided unity, holy God, mighty God, God immortal, be adored. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned, in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to our lasting life. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who raised up the priest, St. John Bosco, as a father and teacher of the young, grant, we pray, that aflame with the same fire of love, we may seek out souls and serve you alone. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Brothers and sisters, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and protector of faith. For the sake of joy that lay before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, and has taken his seat at the right of the throne of God. Consider how he endured such opposition from sinners, in order that you may not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. The Word of the Lord. They will praise you, Lord, who long for you. They will praise you, Lord, 
through all the earth. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear him. The lowly shall eat their fill. They who seek the Lord shall praise him. May your hearts be ever merry. They, they will praise, praise you, Lord, Lord through all the earth. earth. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall bow down before him. To him alone shall bow down all who sleep in the earth. Before him <coughs> shall bend all who go down into the dust. They will, will praise you, Lord, through all the earth. earth. And to him my soul shall live. My descendants shall serve him. Let the coming generation be told of the Lord, that they may proclaim to a people yet to be born the justice he has shown. They will, will praise you, Lord, through all the earth. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Christ took away our infirmities and bore our diseases. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed close to the sea. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came forward. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My daughter is at the point of death. Please come, lay your hands on her, that she may get well and live. He went off with him, and a large crowd followed him. There was a woman afflicted with hemorrhages for twelve years. She had suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet she was not helped, but only grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She said, If I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. Immediately her flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Jesus aware at once that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and asked, Who has touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see how the crowd is pressing upon you, and yet you ask, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. The woman, realizing what had happened to her, approached in fear and trembling. She fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. While he was still speaking, people from the synagogue official's house arrived and said, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Disregarding the message that was reported, Jesus said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid just have faith. He did not allow anyone to accompany him inside, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they arrived at the house of the synagogue official, he caught sight of a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. So he went in and said to them, Why this commotion and weeping? 
The child is not dead, but asleep. And they ridiculed him. Then he put them all out. He took along the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and entered the room where the child was. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. The girl, a child of twelve, arose immediately and walked around. At that they were utterly astounded. He gave strict orders that no one should know this, and said that she should be given something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. This morning's Gospel we hear people of disease and affliction and even suffering death who are coming to Jesus or representatives of theirs in the case of the dead person coming to Jesus in order to be healed and to be touched by the Lord. Particular when we consider the woman suffering hemorrhages for 12 years as she comes up and dares to touch Jesus, her gesture was so daring because precisely she should have been the one who would have been making Jesus unclean. By being an unclean person at that moment and touching someone else, that uncleanness was thought to have spread to the person who was then touched. She would have known this, and therefore her gesture to come forward and find a way to merely touch Jesus really reveals the depth and the magnitude of her faith. And the Gospel reading reveals to us the following. The first is that for the people of that time, it symbolized that there was a changing of the guard from ritualistic practices that were aimed to bring about healing and cleanness, ultimately to placing Jesus Christ at the center of worship. But Jesus himself becomes the source of all healing. But Jesus is the one who is able to transform and purify uncleanness in order to make whole and ultimately to make holy. Symbolically then, Jesus Christ is the great stopper of uncleanness. He is the stronger man who is able to resist the flow of uncleanness or the flow of sin and evil that is encountered in the world and to turn the tide against it in order to bring healing, holiness, purity, and ultimately salvation. Today's Gospel also reveals to us that Jesus is interested in all people. He reaches out even to those who are cast out, even to those who have been excluded. He's interested in touching and healing all. He's interested in saving all. So, my brothers and sisters, as we go forward today, let us ask God for the grace that, in the face of impurity, uncleanness, sin, and evil in the world, that we would always turn to Jesus Christ, knowing that he is the great stopper of this evil and uncleanness, that Jesus is always the stronger man who is able to turn the tide of evil against itself, that Jesus is the one we reach out to touch in order to be made holy, in order to be made clean, and let us beg God for the grace that we would always cooperate with his gesture to reach out to us, to bring us into his fold, and to make us clean. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, gathered as one to celebrate the good things we have received from God. Let us ask him to prompt in us prayers that are worthy of his hearing. 
for Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the clergy, with the people entrusted to their charge, let us pray to the Lord. For those who hold public office and those who assist them in promoting the common good, let us pray to the Lord. For those who travel by sea, land, or air, for captives and all held in prison, let us pray to the Lord. For all of us gathered in this sacred place, gathered online and through radio, by faith and devotion, and by love and reverence for God, let us pray to the Lord. And for those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. May the petitions of your church be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, so that we may receive from your mercy what we cannot ask out of confidence in our own merits, through Christ our Lord. How good the name of Jesus sounds to all believing ears. It soothes our sorrows, heals our wounds, and drives away our fears. It makes the wounded spirit whole and calms the troubled mind. His manna for each hungry soul, the lost and weary find. Blessed name the rock on which we build our shield and resting place. Our never-failing comfort filled with blessings of his grace. O Jesus, shepherd, guardian, friend, our prophet, priest, and king, our Lord, our life, our way, our end, accept the praise we bring. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Receive, O Lord, we pray, the offerings placed on your altar in commemoration of blessed John Bosco, so that, as you brought him glory, you may, through these sacred mysteries, grant to us your pardon through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord, for as on the festival of St. John Bosco, you bid your church rejoice, so too you strengthen her by the example of his holy life. 
Teach her by his words of preaching and keep her safe in answer to his prayers. And so with the company of angels and saints we sing the hymn of your praise as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaho, Plenis Uncele et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you, by the same Spirit, make graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to a second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church, and recognizing the sacrificial victim, by whose death you willed to reconcile us to yourself, grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son, and filled with his Holy Spirit, may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you, so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, with St. John Bosco and with all the saints, on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, 
with your servant Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory. Through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow in the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Praeceptis salutaribis moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus indicere, Pater Noster, qui es in celis, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum quotidianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God, Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed.
For those who are unable to receive our Lord in Holy Communion, we invite you to pray the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Adoro te devoco te, latens de guitas, que subis figuris vere latitas. Tibi sege cor megum totum subicit, qui a te contemplans totum deficit. Visus tactus gogostus in te falitur, sed auditus holo tuto creditur. Credo quid quid digixit teci filigus, nil hoc verbo veri, Tatis verius. In cruce la tegebat sola degitas. Ad hic latet sigimul et humanitas. Ambo tahamen cregedens adque confitens. Peto quod petigivi latro penitens. Plaga sicut tohomas non in tuegor. Degum tamen megegum te confiteor. Fac metigibi sagamper Magis credere, in te spem habegere, te diligere. Let us pray. May partaking at the heavenly table, Almighty God, confirm and increase strength from on high in all who celebrate the feast day of blessed John Bosco, that we may preserve in integrity the gift of faith and walk in the path of salvation you trace for us through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the Gospel of the Lord. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita dulce do, et spes nostra salve. A te
prayer of deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee. Hello, my name is Vera. I'm from Holy 